Okay. Okay, so we are up to Parshas Bahaloscha because we are in the Holy Land. So we are doing Parshas Bahaloscha. One second. Which is from chapter 8. Okay? Um, yeah. So a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff going on in Parshas Bahaloscha. Did anybody have a chance to look at Parsha at all? Yes. We have one yes and a couple of ns. Parks, parks. Yes. Give me something that you saw in the Parsha. Uh, uh, Even if it's not a horror, just anything that you saw. Uh, there's uh, the 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 co the Kohenim and Levim, and they uh they they have like their own different restrictions, and uh, they. No, it doesn't have the restrictions so yeah, much. Yeah, it's twenty five. Oh, that's a working, they're working restrictions because yeah. not who they can yeah. marry restrictions. Like Talks about their induction, service. their service, yeah. them getting inducted into the service. By the way, just in that, they talk about that they come oh, in. Oh, Miriam gets Saras. Miriam gets Saras at the end of the parsha. By the way, back to the for a second, Kohanim Levim. It says that they come in at 25 to start their apprenticeship. Yeah. And if and 30, they start to do the work. And, if, and then Rashi says, and that's proof that if somebody doesn't see success within five years of studying something, yeah. they should look to do something else. At least have a something. I thought that's pretty Aaron, interesting. Aaron right? is asked to light the menorah. Aaron is asked to light the menorah. Who Yisra else has something? Yisro is leaving the camp. Yisro is leaving the camp. They're starting to move on and then he's leaving. There are more prophets? There are more prophets. I, I like that question about oh, thing. Yes. Like, why do we need that? We get the Sanhedrin. We got all kinds of stuff. Good. Sanhedrin. We have a little bit of a take. We're moving. We're, we got a lot of stuff going on over here. Okay. So let's dive right in and see what's going on. So the first thing we're having, um, like Elisheva said, Aaron is getting the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. Okay, so Hashem says to Moshe to speak to Aaron and tell him, that when you illuminate, when you light the candles, then you should, you know, they should all be lit up. Rashi says a couple, of, let, let's go into Rashi for a second because it's very, very interesting. Um, first of all, Rashi says, does anybody have Rashi that you can read? On what part? When you light up? Yeah, yeah, Elisheva, go. The first one. Why? If it says, why is this connected? Why is the section about the candelabrum stated to the next, stated next to the section about the leaders? Right, because if you remember last week, which we didn't learn, we finished with the last week's parsha had the dedication of the heads of each tribe, the Nisim, and that long copy paste, copy paste. Not that we're being dismissed of the Torah, but that was last week. So what? So so Rashi wants to know why do you have the menorah next to the the dedication of the nisim of the priests and why? For when Aaron um, saw the dedication offerings of the leaders, his felt disappointment that he was not with them in bringing the dedication offering. Neither he nor his tribe. So the Holy One, source of blessing, said to him, "By your life, your heart is greater than theirs. For your for you light and clean out one." Okay, so Aaron says, he sees this whole dedication situation going on, and he's like, we're not included. Why? So some of the parts talk about the idea that Aaron felt that there was a lack in him, and that's why it didn't happen. But one of the more, like the Bali Musa talk about the idea, who is complaining that they do not have a part in dedication to Hashem? What's his name? The Kohen. The Aaron HaKohen. Aaron the Kohen Gadol who is the head of the tribe of the Levites and the Kohanim, they serve Hashem all the time. All the time. They say, like, like what are you upset about? Like, he, he was, he was the, in Hebrew, it talks about Chol um, Shaddata. Like, he was, like, weak in his, he was, like, so disappointed and so dejected. 
dude, you work in the temple all the time. What is the issue over here? And one of the Bali Muslims talk about the idea that we know what a person values when we see what they aim for. What do they yearn for? Where does their heart sit? He doesn't say, I got plenty of Kedusha. It's good. We're fine. He's like, wait a second. There's an opportunity to come close to Hashem. We weren't included. Oy, we want to be close to Hashem. Not that he isn't close to Hashem. He is the Kayin Gadol. The Kahanim and the Levim, the Levi- they work in the base of Mikdash. Like, they are close. But there's another opportunity. And, 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 and I think for us, it's such an important thing to say, where are we passionate? What are we passionate about? What are we, where are our drives? I, I mentioned this word one day this week's time, and I think it's such a good word. Sheifa. Where do we strive for? What is our yearning towards? That says a lot about us. And Aaron's Sheifa, his yearning, was more holiness. More holiness. Yes, he's not saying that he doesn't have any opportunities, but there's an opportunity. How can I get on? And like, how can we... He feels bad that he's not included in that, and Hashem says that his is even greater because he's going to have the menorah, the whole, he's going to be lighting the, the menorah. Okay, and the second while she says um, that Bahalosa comes from the word of Aliyah, that the flame, losing my English, that the flame candle and it came out somewhere, not everything, that the, the Kohen Gadol, when he lights the menorah, he has to light each candle purposefully. Till it is standing and it is illuminated on its own. How many times have we lit multiple candles and um, you got to go back to something that didn't actually use? So, so the, in the, the command to Aaron is that every single candle, before you move on to the next one, it has to be strong enough to be illuminated and to be a source of illumination on its own. Now, one of the things that we know about the menorah, and we've talked about it briefly, but I want to talk about it again a little bit briefly to sort of tie things together, and so we know that the menorah is the source of everybody's neshama, right? Everything physical and spiritual are counterparts, and the, and the Beis HaMikdash and the Mishkan have that. And the menorah is the source of our neshama. So Aaron HaKohen, who is in charge of inspiration for, it's a different job than Moshe. It's a place of, of connection to Hashem for all the Jewish people every morning. When he lights up every single neshama, it has to be done in a way that it's solid, that it's steady, that it's really, it's not just like, whoop, and come back, oh, we have to fill in the blanks over here. We really have to fill it up. You know, he has to, he has to light the menorahs very, very consciously and very purposefully. And I think that for us, it's also something like, this is my own, so obviously you don't have to take it. But like, how do we interact with the world? How do we interact with Torah and mitzvahs? Are we just sort of like, mitzvahs, 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 oh, it didn't actually do that one so well, I'm going to go back and fix it up. Like, let's, give our focus and our attention to the things that we're doing to Gizunt, <coughs> um, to, uh, to, we need some, we need some napkins over here. Napkins in aisle three. Okay, so, so as I was saying that we should have, we should be purposeful in what it is that we're doing and in our mitzvahs and, you know, I, that's my take on the situation, I think. I want to say another thing about the menorah that um, sort of the truth. Okay, I'm not okay. I'm gonna do it very very quickly because I shouldn't, but it's been sticking in my head. There's a conversation amongst the chachamim in what direction the menorah stood. Okay, now we know that the, we know that the mishkan and the beis hamikdash lie west to east, right? West to east. Here's the holy of holies. Here's the holy, and here's the rest of the situation, right? So in the holy, 
In the Kaidish, we have three items, okay? Do not judge my arbor. We have the menorah, we have the mizbeach, the golden altar, and we have the shulchan, okay? Now, the question about the menorah is, is the menorah lined up north-south, the width of the, of the, of the base of Mikdash, or is, it, or is it lined up west-east in the length of the mizbeach? No, not the mizbeach. In the length of the mishkan, okay? Now, practically speaking, it was only one direction. It doesn't matter. The, the, the random conversation of was it this way or was it that way is not relevant in real life. Meaning it's relevant, but there's, 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 but there's, um, but there's an ending to the conversation. What? Just to clarify. Yes. The location, not where it's facing. If it's facing differently, it's going to be on the floor. When... No, obviously no. The, the, so we know the Mizbeah, we know the Menorah has six, has a, a middle base and three arms to each side. So it's six with a center. Okay. We talk, when we talk about so Neshamas. So talking where it's placed. The question is in the placement, is it this way? Or is it this way? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's the question. Is it along the line of the Holy of Holies? Or is it one end is by the Holy of Holies and the other end is sort of reaching out towards the eastern side of the, of the, of the base of Mikdash or the Mishkan? Because it, right? Understand the, the question? Yes. Okay. So now the question is, what difference does it make? <laughs> what difference does it make? Right? Practically speaking, only one of them happened. But in a spiritual sense, both of them are true. Okay. And here's the question. If the, one of the things that they talk about the menorah, that the middle of the menorah refers to the chumashim, the chamisha chumshetayra is the base, and three to each side, which gives us six, would be. Anybody know? What do we have? Six. What's the middle of the menorah? The chumashim, the Mishnah, the Mishnayis, which branch off from the chumash, right? So when we talk about Tyra, we talk about truth. Are, is it all, if, if, if it's facing lined up in the width of, yeah, if it's in the width of the, of the Mishkan, that means every single place is equidistant to the Holy of Holies, right? That's one thing. And, 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 um, and if it's in the other direction, then one is closer and one is further. So there's a big conversation going on between Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, and I think Rabbi Eliezer, I don't remember. Um, and, and, and in spiritual, it's really referring to two aspects of the neshama. One is our intellectual ability. Either something is true or it's not true. And that would be referring to the, the menorah as it's lined up north to south. They're all equidistant to the Holy of Holies. Everything is, every truth is equally distant to the ultimate truth, where the Aaron the, the and the Ark is in there. It's all equidistant, equidistant to truth. When you turn it the other way, we're talking about our midas. Mm. We're talking about our, our emotional capacity. And over there, there, is, there are stronger midas, there are weaker midas, there are maybe more predominant. And all of those, there, there is, they're just sort of going to grade away from the Holy of Holies. But, but, where our emotions are strong, it can over it can compensate for the places where intellectually it's it it gives us a certain power that you don't get from intellectual. That didn't make sense in English. That wasn't a correct English sentence, but did you know what I meant? <coughs> Meaning intellectually, all the truths are equally true. Tyra, the Mishnayas, it doesn't matter what we're talking which part of Tyra we're talking about. All of it is so 
either truth is truth and it doesn't really matter. That's an, as, a, as an intellectual relationship with Tyra. But as an emotional relationship with Tyra, we can, we can really be stronger in certain places when our emotions are very, very strong. We, even though intellectually it might not be, you know, that might not be our strength, but the place that the power that we get from emotions is much stronger than what we get often from our intellectual abilities. So that's one thing he talks about in Hasid. It's like, like the difference in where the Menorah is placed becomes a conversation for us in our Avedis Hashem. We can look at the Menorah in two ways. One, as it's an intellectual source of, a source of intellectual uh, energy, but also as an Hashem way, and that has different ramifications for us in our life. <coughs> that was all I wanted to talk about. Okay, now the next thing, which is a very interesting thing, Pasuk Gimel says, Aaron's given the, the commandment to light the Menorah, and it says, Vayas Kain Aaron, and Aaron did it. And Rashi says, Vayas Kain Aaron, what does it say in the Rashi? Lahagid Shifchai Shel Aaron Shalashina. This is to say the praise of Aaron that he didn't deviate from doing what he was supposed to do. And we're like, what? Aaron Akayin, and like the biggest praise is that you did what you were told to do. You're working in the house of Hashem and points for you because you did it? Really? That seems a little weak, let's say. Seems like a little bit of a weak praise. So a couple of things that, I've, that, I, that I heard. First of all, the Kutz Rebbe talks about the idea that, she, that Shina, that to change, is also etymo- etymologically connected to Yashan, to old. And every single day that Aaron went in and lit the Menaira, it was never old for him. It wasn't ever, do you ever see a bar mitzvah boy when they put on tefillin for the first time? Mm-hmm. And you want to bless them that they keep that passion for always? That was Aaron in the Mizbeh. That was Aaron in the Menorah. Every single day that he went in to light the Menorah, it was brand new. It was amazing for him. It never became a habit. It never became same old, same old. And I think for us, how amazing if we could take a little bit of that into something in our lives and say, how do we make whatever we're doing, even if we've done it once or twice or 10 or 100 times, can we make it fresh and new. So I'm giving a little plug for my shviger over here. My shviger, I have never ever seen her walk and make a bracha. Any bracha. Bracha on food, a bracha. She stops and she makes a bracha. And I, 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 when I noticed it, I was like, wow. Yeah, it's, that's the way to make a bracha. To like, how do we keep it fresh? How do we keep it new? How do we, I don't know. Everybody should think for themselves what is it they want to do to try to make Something that we do every single day. Aaron lit the menorah every single day and it never became old. And that, I think, is an amazing, an amazing thing. <coughs> okay, now, the next thing that we have going on in our Parsha, we better start moving quickly. We have the, in, we have the dedication, as Lila said, the dedication of the Levim, of the Levites, of going on. They had, basically, they had to, they had to bring Karbanas and Aaron had to lift them up, okay, because they were as a carbon for for the, for the, uh, on behalf of the Jewish people. So Aaron, a, a parts of a, oh, I'm losing my English. Parts of a carbon are lifted. It's called a wave offering. And you lift in all directions, up, down, in, outside to side. And Aaron had to lift up all the Levium. Six and a half thousand Levium. That was part of their induction process. Aaron lifted them up. And the, no, 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 one at a time, but still oh. six and, oh, yeah, 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 okay, but can I, no, but six and a half thousand people 
in one day? That's a lot. You gotta like really be strong. You gotta be moving quickly. And then the, the Jewish people, and the, for, for, for the decade, and the, and the Jewish people had to put their hands on the Kohanim like a person puts their hand on Kohanim and Levium, because they're not so many Kohanim on the Levium. And he, they put their hands on them, and that's sort of like making this, they're, they're sort of transferring to the Levium their ability to work in the Mishkan on behalf of the Jewish people. So that's a little, we have this. Parents that's, lost their child? No. Because like, because like, you know the parents <coughs> lost their child? Like, yeah, yeah. No, that's... Yeah, no, then we talk about the, we talk about the Levium and how they come to work. We're, hello, we're up to Shlishi, we're going so fast, right? So we said about, they come in at 25, they work till, and then 25 to 30 is apprenticeship, and 30 they start to work, they work from 30 to 50, and after 50, they get to come back, they don't retire. They don't have active service, but they get to do other jobs to help their, their brother Levium in their service. They can also sing, they can open and close gates. They can do other things. There's repairs and diff- different things, but they're not actually doing the active um, avoid at that point after 50 years old. Okay, the next thing we have in chapter 9, which is also the third aliyah, is um, the Jewish people doing the carbon Pesach. Second time they're bringing carbon Pesach. We have a very famous story of... Saras. Before Saras. No, no. no. Oh, oh, people play evil. <laughs> before, the people, before they complain. Things are still good. Pesach Shani. Pesach Shani. Oh. We have the people, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So the, now is when it's in the Chumash. We had Pesach Shady on the calendar six weeks ago, but now we're having Pesach Shady inside. So Bar Hashem, we're not going to talk about Pesach Shady because we talked about Pesach Shady, but just have that. The one thing that I want to sort of thread that I'm going to try to build, if it works, is this place of people looking for more. And that's really the Pesach Shady story, where they should have been happy or they could have been happy, and they said, but we want more holiness, we want more condition. We started with Aaron. We're tagging over here to... <coughs> Pesach Shani. Let's see if I'm successful to get it all the way back. And then we have the. Then we get the laws of Pesach Shani. And now we are up to the fourth aliyah. We are moving so fast. Okay. Uh, so the fourth aliyah is talking about when the Mishkan was uh, was was put, was put up, and we had a cloud on top of it. And this is how the people knew: Are we staying? Are we moving? Are we coming? Are we going? And it talks about how did the people? Uh, how did the how did the the travel process? What? There was a cloud. That's why we get to make meringue things. Uh, over the over the Mishkan was a cloud, and that said, "Yala, we're staying put." And when it was time to leave, and the Chomish goes into the conversation, the cloud would sort of fold up into a beam. When now, now we're talking about the Mishkan because the Jews are in the oh. desert. So in the Mishkan, they don't. The Beis Hamikdash doesn't move any place. Right. Beis Hamikdash stays in one place. But in the Mishkan, so they, the clouds would sort of fold up. The Chomish describes it into a beam on top of the tribe of Yehuda. If we remember, Yehuda was resting over here in the east. They were the first ones to travel. And then when Moshe, then, they were, then we're going to have soon this discussion about these, in, in chapter three, we're going to have, um, what's it? They, and, oh, what's it? I'm going to get to that in a second. It would come into a beam, and then when it was time to move, it would go sort of arrow-shaped, so they would know which direction to head in, and then they would start to, they would start to go. Okay, and it didn't, they didn't know how long they were ever staying any place, right? They were there for a day, they were there for a week, they were there for a year. They never knew they were there until they saw the cloud go yalla up, right? And, and I think I've spoken about it here, and we talk about the idea that, you know, the amuna that the people had in the desert, you know? When we first moved to Israel, we did a lot, a lot, a lot of moving. And when I finally had a place that I rented, we had a rental for five years, the first thing I did was I planted flowers, Aww. right? Because I, was never, I never knew how long I was going to be any place. 
the Jews never had the ability to plant flowers. It could be that in the end they would have ended up being in a place for 13 years or 18 years. I think the longest place they stayed, I think, was for 18 years. But they didn't know it going in. You know, like when, you, when you're traveling and you're in a hotel, if you're there overnight, what are you going to unpack? Right? But if you know you're there for a week, you put stuff into the drawers and you'll hang your stuff, you know. They never had that calm sense of knowing exactly what was going to happen. And that is an incredible, incredible, incredible amount of faith to just say, Yala, God, we are with you. We are doing whatever, you know, we're, we're with your plan. And we're going to talk about the man also comes up in this week's Parsha. The whole idea of eating man and the two parts which we've spoken about the month, so I don't want... I know, but it's, here it's, we're talking about the month because people are going to complain, but that's later. But I'm saying even the fact of eating the month and going to sleep and not having anything in your house, that's an incredible, incredible, incredible amount of faith in Hashem that, that it's going to be okay tomorrow. And, and so when we look, and soon we're going to get into a part of, the, of our Parsha where the people start complaining, I want to put these two very massive things on the, oh my goodness, I would never be able to do that part of the scale. Like, when we say, oh my gosh, I can't believe they complained and they complained and they complained. Hello? Look at what their life was like. Look at what they had to live with on a regular basis and say, could I do it? Don't answer the question. Okay? Now, the other thing that I want to say, and this is very, very important. Wherever the Jews went, and we're going to talk about it, the Chomish is going to have it, it's going to come up again soon. Wherever they went, and again, they did not know how long they were staying the first thing they did was that they set up the Mishkan. No Jew is ever someplace for no reason. And they didn't know if they were there for a night or for a week or for a month or for years. It didn't matter. The first thing we do is we say, here's a home for Hashem. This is when we are someplace, when we are stuck in traffic, when we get delayed at the airport, where our plans don't happen to exactly work as we thought they were going to, the first thing we have to say is, where is my mishkan? How am I setting up a home for God right here, right now? Because if I'm here, I'm here for a reason. It doesn't matter if I'm only here for this purpose of this extended, short extended time. But if I am here, there is for sure a reason that I am here. What is my reason? Okay. And, and the mishkan was the first thing that got set up. And I want us to, you know, to hold on to that space. We are never, ever any place for no reason. There's, you know, the famous story that Jonathan, Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Jonathan Sachs says about his encounter with the Rebbe where he said to the Rebbe something, in the place that I find myself, the Rebbe had asked him a question about what Jerusalem, what he said, but in the place that I find myself, and the Rebbe interrupted him, which the Rebbe never did, and said, a Jew never finds themselves in a place. You put yourself in a place, and you can move yourself and put yourself mm-hmm. in another place. When you're in a, and that was the end of what the Rebbe said, but the message to him was, if you're there, there's something that you need to do for God in this space. You're not only, I happen to find myself there, and therefore, whatever. You're never powerless. You have something to do. Hashem put you there for a reason, and you need to be able to open your eyes and see what it is. Okay, that's a little bit about the mission. Then chapter 10 opens up about this commandment to make chatzaitzers, which are trumpets. They make, Moshe has to make two silver trumpets. And he used that, and they are used to call the Nisim to go to war, to call the people when they travel. And there's a conversation in the Chumash about do at what for what events do we use one trumpet? For what events do we use two trumpets? For what for what events do we use only teruas? When do we use teruas and tekiyas? One of the interesting observations, huh? Silver, silver. They're silver. Um, one of the interesting observations that I was talking about this with my husband today. Um, and generally speaking, when they called the leaders of the tribe or they called the people for anything, 
for Stam, they used one or two trumpets, but they only used the teruah. They only had one of the sounds. They didn't do a teruah and tekiah. The only time that they used two chatzaitres, and they also used a teruah and a tekiah, sort of like Rosh Hashanah, if you're thinking about the sound that it's going to make, mm-hmm. it's a teruah and a tekiah, meaning it's not a ram's horn. It's going to come out of a trumpet, but that's the idea, is when the people traveled. And one of the things that we were talking about, there's a made-up tire from our kitchen this morning, not our kitchen, our back room, whatever, that we were, my husband was saying, like, the only place that we had that super call, like reminiscent of Rosh Hashanah of Tshuva, is when you have to move from one place to another place. When wherever you are isn't good enough for now, and you have to move forward, it's coming with Tshuva. It's always coming with that like Rosh Hashanah energy. So that was our made-up tire from today, no, and you're welcome tshuva. to share it, huh? The the or do, 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 no, that's do it. Do, 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 no, key is a long one. Oh, so the key is very long, and true is do do yeah, so do, and key is do like that. For true, when is that? <coughs> it's, 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 it's just by itself. There's no. By itself. It's either one or it's either one or tour. No, either you use one trumpet and a trua, two trumpets and a trua, or two trumpets with trua and tequila, and that's only when the people are moving. Which is I I just thought that was an interesting thing. The warning was, the no, the cloud was the first warning. The cloud was the first There's warning. A lot of people that just correct, it. correct, correct, correct. And everybody knew what their job was immediately. We're going to talk about it in a second. I want to say something very interesting. Um, it talks about the, the chatzaitris, these trumpets that Maisha made, were only for him to use. After Maisha passes away, they're put away, and Yeshua makes a new set of trumpets that they have that they, they're able to call the people with. And, and it's an interesting thing. It seems like a little bit wasteful, like silver trumpets, what, you know, why not just use them again? And again, one of the Bali Muslims talk about, like the more modern Bali Muslims talk about the idea that the trumpets were used to call the people, to wake up the people, to, to move the people. And every single generation has a different call. And what worked, even for Maisha's generation, did not work for Yehoshua's generation. And for sure what worked for the people in the desert might not work for us in 2023. It might, we might need to be called and inspired to tshuva and to Hashem with the trumpet that is relevant for our generation. And I thought that was so, so, so beautiful. Like when we try to, for ourselves to inspire ourselves or to try, inspire people around us, we can't say it used to work and this is fine and it should work for you. It, that's not a true statement. We have to be able to look at every single situation and every single place that we are and say, okay, what works here? How do I best share my love of Hashem without being weird and crazy, if that's possible, but um, how do I share that with people around me in a way that they can actually receive it? And it's going to have to be if I'm going to actually pay attention to us and them and what's going on and not just say, but once upon a time, this inspired me. It will work for you, but it won't work for the other people. So that was my little pontificating on top of the tire. Okay. Now, the next, uh, in Hamishi, in the fifth Aliyah, which is chapter 10, verse 11. So it tells us that in the second year, in the second month, in the 20th of the month, the cloud lifted up. And it's time for them from leaving Egypt. The second year, the second month, the 20th day. Okay? The cloud lifts up. Yala, we're moving. So this is their leaving from Sinai. Okay? Rashi says they've been at Sinai for a a year minus 10 days. This is the first ever warning. This is the first time it's happening. Exactly. Why wouldn't they 
So, okay, so why are they there so long is a very good question. Um, and it's very, and, and later on, it, I'm going to get back to that if I don't, okay? Um, so actually, I'm going to answer your question because it's going to lead into what I want to say. Um, why are they so long? What did they do at Sinai for a year minus 10 days? They learned the Torah. They got, they didn't they learn the Torah. The they got all the mitzvahs. Moshe showed them every single, he wasn't, they, they didn't have the Chumash yet. They got every single mitzvah. Moshe said, this is what tefillin should look like. This is how you put them on. This is how you make them. This is how the scribe does it. This is what an esrog looks like. They had every single, all the mitzvahs. Over the course of the year, Moshe was giving them all the mitzvahs. Now, at the end of this, at the end of this chapter, it talks about when they act, because the next thing that can happen, the next bunch of verses are going to talk about how they actually traveled. So it says, the cloud lifted up. So first, Yehuda went and after you, the tribe of Yehuda, and lists the three tribes that are with Yehuda, they went, and the, as soon as Yehuda, as soon as, it, okay, just imagine, right, a camp 12 miles by 12 miles, um, uh, and the cloud lifts up, and everybody springs into action, so it, it goes up, as soon as, the, as soon as the cloud goes up, the tribe of Yehuda starts to pack up, they're going to wait for the Chatzaitzers the, the to tell them to move, that's the first warning, the cloud lifts up, those trumpets, their cloud lifts up, they're going to start, yalla, yalla, everybody pack, 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 pack. The tribe of Levi runs to the Mishkan. Gershon, Gershon and Merari take down. The first thing that's going to happen actually is that Aaron and his sons are going to go inside. They're going to take the curtains. They're going to cover every single one of the holy objects that are in the Mishkan. And immediately, Gershon and Merari are going to dismantle the Mishkan, load the wagons, and they're going to be right after Yehuda. So then, let's say, everybody runs to their stations, battle stations, right? Yehuda, then the call goes, Yehuda starts to go, Gershon and Merari follow them, then comes Reuven, then comes Kahas carrying the holy objects, then comes, uh, then comes Menashe, and then comes Dun. We talked about Dun being the last one to travel. Of course, in good Jewish tradition, there is a question. Did they travel in a line? Did they, tra- did they travel in a box? But in either case, they, I mean, did they travel in the formation that they camped in, or did they go in a line? In e- either case, by the time Kahas came with the vessels, the structure of the Mishkan was already up. Okay? That's very efficient. Yeah. That is very efficient work. <laughs> it is, I would imagine that it's very stressful. I would imagine it's very stressful. What? Kahas takes the holy vessels and Gershon and Murray take the beams and the curtains and everything. Huh? I, I think that, if you're going to ask me my personal opinion, I think that the stressful part is the not knowing. Not the actual doing of it. Meaning, if we all know, has anybody ever done like a fire drill in their house or something? Or in their school? <laughs> right? You, whatever. Some people do fire drills in their house. In case of a fire, we know where to, how do we get out and where do we go and where do we meet. Right? You never actually expect to have the drill, to have the thing ring, you know? Like, but still, the point of a drill is that when it happens, we know it's going to happen. Now, the Jews know that they're moving and it's going to happen. So there was a conversation. Okay, so when the, when the, when the cloud goes up, you know, Aviv, you pack the suitcases. Amber, you make sandwiches. Lisa, you make sure the kids are all taken care of. Everybody gets their job, and they know, oh, it's going yalla, wherever you are, you need to get back home and start moving because we all have a very specific job to do. And then the rest of the Levites go, and they take care of the Mishkan. Okay? So, like, what's the schedule? Like, for the full year, there's nothing like 
they're never, okay, but they're never really settled. That's the point, that they never were really settled. They ne- like I said, they never had the ability to just plant flowers. They never knew for sure that here we are and we're staying here. Okay, now, but I want to finish a very interesting thing. So, in, um, so over here, okay, so, as, so this first movement and they're going, and Moshe speaks to Yisro, who said that? Somebody here said, spoke to Yisro about coming with us. And he said, no, I'm going back. Okay, now, if you take a look in verse 33, it tells us, they, went, they traveled from the, from the mountain of Hashem for three days, and the ark was with them, was going on heaven. Da, 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 da. The Gemara tells us that, that they traveled from the, house, from the, the mountain of Hashem, verse 33, verse 33, the Gemara uses the expression It's like a child running away from school. Does anybody remember the last day of school? We're like, we are out of here before you can give me Zarber, right? We're gone. Um, um, which is a kind of, not such a nice thing, right? Now, remember, I'm, I'm saying this, remember our introduction. They're living such an uncertain, such a God-based life. And still, and the Gemara goes on to say that they were afraid that if they stayed longer, they would get more mitzvahs. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to explain something. We can't say, like, we have to put this into perspective. Like, were they really afraid of more mitzvahs? You know, no. Like, but like that place of, oh my gosh, it's so much. They're, they're still traveling by the word of Hashem. But there is something, it's not considered a sin, but it's considered a hum. That's interesting. You're ready to run away. Like, could you imagine being at a Fabrengan and it's going so beautifully and everything's so wonderful and then it's like, yes, it's over. Like, how does everybody involved feel? But she doesn't feel that, like, doesn't feel very good about this situation, right? So it's not a sin. It's not a sin for the Jewish people, but it's definitely a, a hum kind of situation well, over there. It's like, it's like mm, that's interesting kind of thing. It's not a great thing. It's not, it's not like, it's not... No, that they left, they had to follow Hashem. Hashem said, we're leaving, they have to leave. But their attitude of, yes, we're out of here, that is not considered, that's not one of our shining moments, shall we say. Could be, but the, but, but the Gemara definitely sees over here that they were happy to leave Harsina. They were afraid they were going to get more mitzvahs. What? Nothing. Oh. So turn it off. Turn it off and I'll put it back on when I, get, when I, when I start to fall asleep. Okay. Um, and so they, and then, so then they go. They're going to travel for three days, Beseder. Um, now, this is very important. You have to look into your chumash, and I hope your chumash has it. If you look at the introduction to Shishi, there is. What do you have at the beginning? At chapter, chapter, t- at upside down. None. Thank you. Have you found it? If you see chapter ten, verse uh, before verse thirty-five, and after verse thirty-six, we have an upside down nun. It is a. It is a Bible bracket. Okay? Okay, now if you say there, there's something that happens over here that we all need to say, stop and say, something's funky. Okay? Up until this point, what has been the direction of our Chumash and our people? From the beginning of the, from the beginning of Bamidbar, what are we doing? Forward. We're, no, we're leaving Harsina. We're, they, we, did, we had Harsina last time. Where are we going? Going out to Israel. We're going out to Israel. And these brackets say, trouble up ahead. 
And according to some, some of the Mepharshim, and it brings it down to the Gemara, that those two nuns indicate a book that was never written. Okay? What do you mean a book? A book, look at what those two verses are. Okay? Vayhi bin Saron, Vayomer Moshe. Okay? But what's supposed to happen? If we're on the way to Eretz Yisrael, what was supposed to happen? They were supposed to go with Moshe, with the ark, and what's going to happen? Come up, read it in English. Hannah, read it for me. From? Vayhi bin Saron. 35. 35, go. 35. Chapter 10, verse 35. When the ark would journey, Moshe said, Arise, Hashem, and let your foes be scattered. Let those who hate you flee from before you. Stop. We were supposed to go into Eretz Yisrael oh. with the power of the Aaron. And when that settlement was, hap- was going to finish, what was Moshe then going to say? Keep reading, Hannah. And when it rested, he would say, Reside, reside tranquilly, O Hashem, among the myriad thousands of Israel. It would have been like a Yoshua, oh, yeah. Yoshua but Moshe. They should have gone. That, those two verses should have been the conquest. What do you mean? They should have been able to go into Eretz Yisrael, well, not have to fight for it, go in as the army of God, and everybody would have said, Pajasa, take it. It's yours. Moshe would have been there. It would have been a whole different story. But what happened? If you turn the, you turn the page, chapter. It's alternative book of Torah. No, it's not. It's nothing. They're just saying this didn't happen. This did Look at verse chapter eleven. What happened? People fetched. The people complained. The people fetched. They said, "You're we're moving too fast." There was, a, tr- there was a, tr- a journey of 11 days, and it was too hard. Hashem wanted them to go into Eretz Yisrael already. And they said, we can't, we're tired, you're rushing us. So Hashem's like, okay, new story, new story. We're going to do this the long way. We're going to do this the long way. And then we're going to have the story sort of play, it out, play itself out. So the first thing that's going to happen is that the people are going to complain. It doesn't say what they complained about. Rashi says that they complained that the travel was too much. It was too hard for them. And there was a fire. There's a plague that comes and starts to kill the people. That stops. And immediately within a few days after, they start to complain. We don't like the food you're giving us. You don't like, one second, you don't like, don't like the food. They start to say, we remember the fish that we had in Mitzrayim, Chinam. It was all free. Everything was free there. Rashi's like, free? They didn't give you the straw for your bricks. They're going to give you free food. And Rashi says, Chinam in a mitzvah. We had no obligations. We had no spiritual obligations. We had no obligation to Hashem. And that's where they use the example of fish. Because fish have no massive laws of shechita. You can just kill a fish and eat it. You could, you know, it's not like that. Shechted and kashered and salted, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't. You just kill a fish. No, you don't. You just kill a fish. So they were like, so, so like, they start to complain, and that's when we have the little interlude about what were they complaining about. They were complaining about the man. We have this man. It's terrible. Blah blah blah. And then we have the Torah says, "Hello, this man that you're complaining about." He describes, um, "We're sick of the man." So in verse seven, it says, uh, "Stella." Verse seven. Verse seven. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color bedolach. Right, so bedolach is actually translated most um, as, a, as some kind of crystal, okay? So, so in Hasidus they say, what, how is this an answer to we're sick of the man? It's round and it's crystal colored. How is that, how does that help the complaint that we're sick of the man, right? Tell me the man tasted like anything you wanted, except some stuff, like whatever. No, so in Hasidus it talks about the idea that 
the, the man, and we spoke about this, so I'm going to only touch on it briefly, man was a physical, it was spiritual food made physical. It was not physical. It was all food that we eat has physical properties. We have to work it. We have to plant it. We have to cook it. We have to do whatever we have to do with the food, right? The man was the bracha that they, I, and I don't understand this because it says in Gemara that the bracha they made on the man, but they didn't have bracha, so I don't know what the answer is. But then somebody else says that, that we will make the bracha on the man. That was the bracha they made on the man. Man was spiritual food that nourished them. And the, the amazingness of the man was that it had no waste because most of our physical food is not anything that our body can absorb. So the body has to get rid of it. But the man was this spiritual lechem and hashabayim and it was infinite in its physicality of it. So when it's round, round is the only thing that we have today that's at all a symbol of infinity. Mm-hmm. Everything else aligned, has beginning and an end, circle, circle just keeps going and going and going. So the, highlighting the fact that it's a circle that's crystal-like is, in, is highlighting the fact that this is this is spiritual, infinite kind of sustenance that's keeping you alive because you... Because that's the rules, you know, Hashem said you got to eat. So, but you're having food that's, that's infinite. You're having a chance to in, ingest infinity. And, and parenthetically, I want to say that the Gemara says that the Torah was only given haman. It was only given to the people who, would, who were the money eaters. Because, A, because of the incredible, incredible muna that they had, that this was what they lived on. But also to, to, to be able to ingest it was... You know, we think it's normal, like that's what we're doing, but it isn't actually normal. And the fact that they were able to absorb it and able to be sustained from it actually gave them the power to come to Tyra, which is infinite. Okay, so they were being sustained by something infinite, so they're able to go into Tyra, which is infinite, and, and do it and create it. And, you know, like one, one of the first talked about the idea that what do the people do for the rest of the time in the desert if Maisha gave them all those mitzvahs? They spent the time learning, going through the text, finding the proofs for what Moshe taught them. This is the truth. Now, can I find a proof text to support it? But they, they, were, they, were, they weren't inventing Torah, but they were the crea- almost a certain version of creators of Torah. It only happened to the people who ate the man. Anyway, um, at this point, it goes into the description of the man. Moshe hears this. This is in chapter 11, verse 10. And he is very, very, very upset. This is, this is not cool. He is really not, not happy with this. And he says to Mahashem, essentially he's like, why are you torturing me? You should just kill me dead. Why did you make me deal with these people? They don't, get, and, and parenthetical, like, like the parentheses, like sort of that Hasidus puts into this is like, they don't get my vision at all. Like at the end of the day, they're still crying about meat that they want to have. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And instead of Hashem arguing with him, because we know that when Moshe first encounters Hashem at the burning bush, and Moshe's like, no, I don't want to do it. Hashem spends a week arguing with him, convincing him to take the, to, you know, to take the job. Here, he's like, I can't do this by myself. Hashem's like, okay, no problem. And what does he do? What does he do? We're going to get in chapter, in verse uh, 16, 70 elders. We're going to get 70 elders. We're going to get other people. And we're going to sort of make, you know, like this, the, the, the forerunners of the Sanhedrin, but we're also going to have this, these people who are able to perhaps interface with the people, and they're not Moshe, they're people. And perhaps that way the message will be able to get across. There's something that Moshe somehow, he's like, I can't, I can't do it. They, they don't, 
They don't get it. They think I'm trying to torture them. Um, these are my pa- I'm paraphrasing Moshe over here. Do not take this as a direct quote, right? And I should like, okay, I get it. Let's get some other people involved. Anybody know what Rashi says? Who were these 70 people that they chose? Hmm? For this, they were for the Sanhedrin. They were going to end up being prophets. They weren't called the Sanhedrin, but they were called the prophets. These were people who in Egypt had been the taskmaster, under the taskmasters. Remember, we know that the Jewish people had Jews on top of them. And in and Shemos, it talks about how those people took a beating literally for their brothers because they would not pass it on to the, to the, to the slaves. They were beaten because they would not push the people further. These are people who had street cred with the, with, the, with the Jewish people. They had been there in the trenches with them. They had suffered with them. And so they all, from each tribe, were going to get six people, six representatives who had been there. there were 12, 12 tribes. Six from each tribe. Anybody whose math is better than mine? Six times 12 is? 72. 72. Thank you very much. But we only have 70. So what happens? Every tribe sends forth six people. They put in a pot, you know, 70 that have, you know, whatever it's written on it, and two are left blank. So two are left blank. They don't go up with the rest of the 70. They go back to the camp, which leads us to our next story that happens. Uh, so these 70 people come, they get prophecy, and it's, it's a question of do they never stop? Do they get it as a one-shot deal? Whatever it is, it's a special thing that they get, and they get, to be, they get to sort of interface a little bit with the people. Okay, and then Hashem says, what's that? Then Hashem says to Moshe that we're going to bring meat. We're going to bring these quail for the people. And Moshe's like, they're just complaining. You couldn't possibly give them enough. It's not a question of the amount. They just are complaining. And Hashem's like, nobody's going to say that I can't do it. And for a month, this, this quail comes into the camp. The people eat, I, which I don't understand if the first people ate and died. Why would anybody else eat? But whatever, I digress. I don't know the answer to the question. They go, they get the quail, and they end up dying. And it's Kira Sataiva, it's called the bury, like they're burying their taiva over there, their desires over there. It becomes a disaster. They, they end up, a lot, a lot of people end up dying in this situation. Was, and it, was it all they had? Is that why they kept eating? What? Because they only had the meat. No, they have, they, they're still getting them on. Oh. They're still getting them on. They have their own stuff. It's, it's got to be some kind of madness. I, I, I don't even have a good answer for why they would keep eating. Like The first day, I get it. Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. But like you see, this isn't ending well. Like we're literally a specific group guy, like it wasn't like um So the people who were complaining were the it calls it, it says the Safsuf, the Aravram, the people who came up with them. But at the end of the day, it doesn't say only those people died. There there's a lot of people who end up dying over there. Okay? Now uh, and so that's going on on one side. Then on the other side, we have these two people, numbers 71 and 72, who did not get called up to get Nebuah with Moshe. They're in, the pro- they're in the camp, and they start saying prophecy. When, when the Spirit of God comes down on 70, it actually comes out on 72. And what's quite fascinating is that we only know the prophecy that the two people said. Oh. Eldad and Medad. Yes. Sorry. Go, no, what? It just, it just, and I remember reading this. It says um, the instigators of the people, I don't know who, oh, wait. Oh, this is Rambam. The instigators of the people's complaints died immediately. So okay. So, so, oh, so you just think, oh, they're getting That's their wrong. due? Yeah, could be. I hear that. Oh, so you think, oh, it's, it's just those, yeah. it's not. I hear it. It could be. I, I, there's got to be some kind of answer why people kept eating, but I don't know. Because um, it said, it seems to imply from the Pusik that they ate and they died, and like they were dying with the meat between their teeth, the, yeah. the Pusik says. Like, yeah. that seems quite immediate. I don't know. Anyway, we know, uh, we know, that, we know what the two people were there. It doesn't say in the Chumash, but. Why were they there? Why, why they, did they keep them? What did they do? 
No. They, one second, those two people didn't get called up. They were there. They say the prophecy that they're doing is that Moshe is going to die and Joshua is going to take us into the land of Israel. Whoa. And Joshua comes running to Moshe and says, kill them dead. Don't let them go ahead. And Moshe says, I wish all of the Jewish people were prophets. I wish everybody could do this. Which is going to then, which is, it's going to, I want to say a few, few things. First of all, it's going to, uh, coming up soon, we have Parsha Shlach. It's going to be a little bit of a kink in the works for Joshua, um, having this prophecy. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah. Um, and also we're going to have later on Korach, what's going to be the difference between Korach and these two people? Because when Korach, Korach comes up with the, with the rebellion against Moshe, Korach is a person. When, when Korach comes with a, against, with a, against Moshe with a complaint, Moshe doesn't say, I wish everybody would be prophets. So like that we're going to wait for Korach because we're actually running out of time. So we have Eldad and Meidah, they have this thing and and then what happens, it's going to, we have the thing, there, oh, so then we have over here, chapter 12, who said Miriam gets saras, that Miriam and Aaron, Miriam and Aaron are speaking Lashon Hara about Moshe, which is directly connected to the Eldad and Medad story. Rashi says that when, the vo- when they heard that Eldad and Medad were giving prophecy, Miriam was standing next to Tzipora, and Tzipora said, oh, I feel bad for their wives. And she's like, why? And, she, he, and Tzipora's like, because Tzipora's Moshe, mother, no? Tzipora's Moshe's wife. So he says, because their wives are going to separate from them. From Sinai, Moshe is, Moshe is the only person in history who's told to be celibate. And his wife's like... He wasn't told. He did it himself. It was, he, God didn't disagree with him. He said, stay here. God says, stay here with me. Yeah. So that's what he took to understand. So, uh, so, so Miriam's like, what? You don't have to be celibate to be a, pro- to be a pro- uh, prophet. We're prophets. And she goes speaking to Moshe. No, she goes speaking to Aaron about this, trying to figure out what's going on over here. And Hashem wants to prove his point why Moshe has to stay celibate. He suddenly comes to give all three of them prophecy. Moshe, Miriam, and Aaron are not pure, and they start running and looking for water. Why aren't they pure? Because... Because they become, they, they stop. If you weren't pure intentionally, then you could have not been pure. So they start looking for water. And Hashem uses such powerful, powerful words to describe his relationship with Moshe. He talks about how in verse 6 and 7, he says, you know, Moshe is not like every other prophet. I, we speak face to face. Moshe, you know, he's bechol beisi neman hu. He's, he's trustworthy in all of my house. That it doesn't, doesn't matter what Moshe sees. He will never say anything that he doesn't have permission to say. We speak face to face. There's no riddles. There's no anything. How did you dare speak about Moshe? How did you dare speak about Moshe? And this is where the Rambam gets the idea that Moshe is the father of all prophets. Of all prophets. And Hashem leaves. And when they leave, Miriam is covered in. She has Saras. And Moshe goes, what is our so, so the Mepharshim say that Aaron also got Saras, but the Torah doesn't say it because of, the, because of respect for his position. Because he was Kohen Gadol, it would have been embarrassing to say that he got Saras. But the Mepharshim say that Aaron also got Saras, and Aaron, that's why Hashem, then Aaron speaks to Moshe to pray to Hashem to heal her, because he's not allowed to hear, he's a, whether he has Saras, as some Mepharshim say, or he's a first degree relative, he's not allowed to purify her. He says, please help her. Don't leave her like this. And, um, and, and, he's, and Moshe Davin's the shortest davening in history. Kelna Rafan Allah, God, please heal her. And Rashi says, brings that um, 
he said he did it short because for two reasons, gotta love the Jews. Either because they're going to say, oh, when it's his sister, he gives this long, lengthy prayer. And when it's us, he doesn't. Or his sister's suffering and he's giving a long prayer, so like you really can't win. And then what happens after that, whatever happens after that is, it says, uh, okay, if you take a look in chapter, in verse 15, so Miriam goes into isolation because she has Saras for seven days. Vaham nasa ad Miriam. And the, and the people do not travel until Miriam is gathered in. Now, if you remember the beginning of our Parsha, at, like in the middle, the cloud lifted up and they're supposed to move. But they don't. And why do they not move? This is payback. Because she waited for Moshe. Because she stood for two hours and she waited with Moshe. This entire six million, two million people, how many people are going to say where the Jewish people, the camp was? They wait for her until she gets included back into the camp because it's very painful for a Mitzorah to be moved. And this is the payback that they give her um, for what they did for Moshe. <sighs> we're out of time. We finished the partial, we're out of time. Um, I want to give us a bracha. I want to give us a bracha, because if we were going to follow the thread that I'm trying to, the, the needle that I'm trying to thread, that starts with Aaron having a desire for more Kedusha, for the Pesach Sheni people, and even Moshe saying at the end of the story of the people who every, every single person should be a prophet, Halavayshek, you know, whatever, I don't remember the exact quote, that everybody, that all Am Hashem should be a prophet. I want to sort of tie that thread back to us and to say that we should be aiming high. We shouldn't be happy, you know, we talked about it when we did the Hayyam Yam. When it comes to physical stuff, we could say, it's a baba, this is good enough, this is fine. But when it comes to our Avedis Hashem, we should aim higher. We should say, we should want to say, we shouldn't just say, well, we don't have the opportunity, so what are we going to do about it? Can't do anything about it. We should, I want to give us a bracha that we, that we reach high, that we aim high, that we, we don't say, it's beseder if we don't have it. When it comes to Kedusha, we should really be aiming higher. Obviously, the, the clear lessons of, okay, don't speak Lashon Har, that's not such a good idea. Um, and, and, and the bigger thing, and this is such a hard thing, but I'm going to mention it as a bracha, not because, I, because we all need the help for this. One of the things that the Jewish people had a real issue with Hashem was working on his time scale, right? Hashem wanted them to go into Eretz Yisrael. Hashem wanted them to, like, he was rushing them to do it, and they were like, ah, too hard for us. They wanted, you know, they didn't have what... Time in the Jewish people and God seems to be a little bit of a challenge. So I want to give us all a bracha that as we reach for more holiness, Hashem comes back and makes our waiting just no more. Like just no more waiting. Like we're, we're being patient and we're hanging in there. But like he should already know we're not so good with like challenges of time and stuff. And he should just like send us Mashiach and we should be able to... See it with our eyes, in a in in, in, the, in a very a very near reality. We should be able to see like that our stepping forward and our being patient, actually Hashem showers us backwards or forward or whatever with with goodness and kindness and Mashiach and all kinds of blessings. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you.